Praise the Lord. Well, I have a couple of things I'd like to say before I start my clock this morning. First of all, next Sunday afternoon is Vineyard 101. And for those of you who are newer to the church and have never had the opportunity to kind of get the inside that Karen and I host a couple of times a year is about all we have time for. And so next Sunday afternoon, Karen and I would like to be with you for a little while, starting at 2 o'clock, and just talk with you about what this church is, how it came to be, tell some fun stories about the church, and also hear from you and any questions that you may have. And so would love to have you join us for that next, next Sunday afternoon. We would like, is that a sign-up thing? Is that a, yeah. So if you could, if you haven't yet and would like to come, would you please take out that connection card and indicate that, put your name on it and stuff, and uh, just turn it in at the welcome desk uh, on your way out so that we know how many, how many of you are coming. We'd love to have you, okay? The other thing I'd like to say before I get going here is uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, yesterday, uh, out on the Paquette Farm, was just a grand, another grand day. And then uh, uh, there were just so many of you that came to help uh, serve in the children's fall party out there in the middle of the day. I mean, it was just tremendous. And I just couldn't thank you enough for that. And then the middle schoolers came in the afternoon for a couple of hours. And uh, it's it, it, this morning we were just sitting out on the porch kind of doing our thing. And we were just so grateful. I mean, we looked around and the place is even all cleaned up. And looks like nobody was there except for all the tire tracks everywhere, right? And so just thank you so much for those of you who were able to chip in on that. All right? We really appreciate it. Let's pray together. Father... We invite your, your Holy Spirit to come. We invite you to come now in the present power and ministry of your Holy Spirit and speak to us through your word. Lord, this is, this is an old book, but it's a new word. It's a fresh word if you come. And so that's what we want, Lord. That's what we crave. We crave for you to come and to pour out your Spirit on your word and bring it to us in a way that it's alive and fresh and meaningful and relevant. I thank you for every person here, Lord, and I pray the blessing of the Lord on each person as we, as we take some time to focus on your word and what you have to say to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've been pondering some questions recently that I need some help with, uh, some deeper questions of life. Uh, I've written down a few of them to share with you. One of the questions I've been pondering is this, is that if you work in a hospital, how can you call in sick? Yeah? How about this one? If a cow laughs really hard, will milk come out of its nose? Just a question I've been pondering. Um, uh Another question that really strikes me every time that I go through the drive-up at the bank is why do they put Braille dots on the keypad of the drive-up ATM, right? And I don't get that a bit. Those are some of the lighter ones. I do have some more thoughtful questions for those of you who are a bit more pensive. And um, here's a question for some of you to think about. 
you may not know right off, if you could drive your car at the speed of light, what would happen if you turned on your headlights? Yeah, very good. Okay. Here's a deeper one for some of you that just like to think of deeper things. Can you imagine a world with no hypothetical situations? <laughs> Thank you, Don. Thank you. Thank you. I get no respect. All right. Now, this one is the deepest question of all, and for perhaps some of you, it'll be one of those way homers where you go, oh, okay, here is the question I really want you to ponder. If you tied buttered toast, butter side up, to the back of a cat and dropped the cat from a height, what would happen? Thank you, Pam. Thank you. You may go. If that doesn't make any sense, you ask Pam on the way out. She'll totally tell you, okay? I do have another question I want you to ponder today. <laughs> I'm bombing here. This is terrible. <laughs> oh, that's because the Sorensons are sitting on the wrong side. What are you doing over there? You don't belong over there. My whole world is out of balance now. What if it's true? What, what, if, what if the Bible's true? What if it is true? What if it's true? What if it's true that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? What if it's true? What if it's true that Peter, as he was walking along, saw a man who was crippled from birth? He stretched out his hand. And he caused him to walk. What if that's true? Man. Turning your Bibles today to Acts chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 together. And uh, here we are in this part of the series, winding up the series next week. So we've been looking at the life of Peter and the incredible transformation that occurred in the life of Peter as he went from fisherman to perhaps most powerful, influential person in the world other than Jesus. And uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And um, let's, I don't know if you can see all that together, but read it with me if you can. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
What if that's true? What if that really happened? We got some splaining to do, don't we, Lucy? What if that's true? Let's do some Bible study on this passage. Where would you begin trying to unpack this passage? What did you say? Oh, speak it right into the microphone, would you? Context. Context. You certainly may go. You may never have to return. You never have to come back. You know, you know everything I have to... You start with context. What is context? The bigger picture, right? You need to know about what's going on in this passage. Where would you begin? How would you, what would you do with this? You would read Acts 2. Very good. Excellent. In terms of the passage, I would start right there one day. So it gives us a time reference, right? You know how sometimes in the Bible it says, and next? You know, and so you have to connect that with what just happened. Well, in Acts chapter 2, remember the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. Peter preached preached that great message where 3,000 people were saved in one day, right? And then that 42 through 47 passage that just talks about that beautiful picture of what the church is meant to be. And we love that passage, don't we? And it talked about just how the church was together, had everything in common, that God was moving among them. And then the next words are one day. So it's as much as saying, as an example of that, as, this is just an example. This isn't the exhaustive description of what the church is doing one day. So it tells us that God was moving in the church Then the next words are, for example, (laughs) this is just one example. One day, Peter and John, they were walking, going up to the temple. At what time? What's the time of prayer? Someone said always. It's good. Now, the people of Israel, they had set times of prayer. It was at the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour. Now, you need to understand something about the way the people of Israel thought about time. It's different than the way we think about time, and it's an important distinction. That they thought about time it pretty much flipped from our version of time. When does your day begin? In the morning, for most of you, right? Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and tell me what's interesting about the time reference. As you read each of the sections of how God created the heavens and the earth, what is, what, how do each of those sections end? Read the whole thing, the whole, and there was what? And there was evening, and there was morning, correct? Is that what your Bible says? And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Does that seem messed up to you? Shouldn't it be morning and evening? Doesn't your day start when you get up in the morning? That's not how the people of Israel thought of it at all, because that's not how God did it. The people of Israel understood that their day started when they went to sleep. When the sun went down, their day began. And it's an important thing because they understood, they understood that God did something in their lives while they slept. Something critically important in their lives while they slept. God protected them. God spoke to them in dreams. God did something to them while they slept, and then when they woke up, the day was half over. 
the day was half over. And so they got up, and then at these times of 9, noon, and 3, as it turns out, they actually went to the temple. The, the devout Jews went to the temple to pray, obviously the ones living in Jerusalem. So that's what's happening. They're, they're in the rhythm of God, of the people of Israel. They got up that morning. God had already worked in them. They woke up, and so they start their day by saying, what did you have? What did you prepare for me to finish this day with? I think it's kind of cool, don't you? Try it tonight when you go to bed. Say, Lord, thank you for the beginning of a new day. Thank you for the beginning of a new day. I can't wait to see what you prepare for me while I sleep. That's what they were doing. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried. This guy, it was the only life that he knew. He couldn't walk since birth, and he was being carried. This was the best way that he knew how to deal with his predicament, right? He was carried to a place where as people go in and out of the temple, hopefully moved by God, that beggars would collect. Some of you have seen this in other countries, outside of churches, where beggars gather hoping that people are moved by the Spirit of God, perhaps, to be generous toward them. I think what you need to pick up from this is that this man was, was dealing with his predicament in the way that he knew how to deal with it. Was it a solution for his problem? No, it just got him through another day, right? And when he saw Peter and John, what did he do? He asked them for money. Thank you, Vladimir. He asked them for money. Because that's what he knew to do, right? That's how he figured he was going to get through the day. So he was living the only life he knew how to live because of his predicament, and he was living just with the hopes of surviving another day. Do you ever fall into a pattern where you really start giving up on there being a true solution for it? And you say, I'm just going to figure out how to endure the next day. I mean, that's the human predicament. That's the human nature, isn't it? So that's what he was doing. So he went on. He asked them. He was hoping to get some money, of course, because he was begging. But Peter and John, really important thing, silver and gold I don't have. I don't have any money. I can't help you in the way that you think you need to be helped, they're, say, they're saying to him. I don't have what you think you need from me. But, what did he say? But, say it, but, come on, church, come on, it's right there in yellow, come on, but what? What I have, what did they have? They had the Holy Spirit, remember? Acts chapter 2, did you forget already? Huh? Good thing there's nobody sitting here this morning. <laughs> but what I have, I give you. I have something that's going to blow your mind. I can't pay your bill. I can't buy your meal. But what I do have, I give you. Peter leaked. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he leaked, right? He just let the Holy Spirit leak out of him. But what I have, I give you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. And he had the confidence to say that. <laughs> it's kind of a line drawn in the sand for us at times, isn't there? Yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. And we see that line and go, I'm good on this side of the line, right? I'm good believing. I'm good studying. I'm good. And the Lord draws the line and says, no, step over the line. And the line is when you say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, right? Can you see that line? What happened? Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. I think this illustrates such an important point about supernatural healing, and that is that, sure, it's for the glory of God, sure, it's for the proclamation of the gospel, but it's also to interface two people together so that God uses them, and he takes them by the right hand, and he helps them up. He doesn't just say, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I hope that works. Stretched out his hand. So let's do some walking together. Didn't take long, right? Instantly. Don't you long for that? Hello? Don't you long for that, people? Instantly. Instantly. He became strong. What did he do? Began to walk. What did he do next? (laughs) Jump. (laughs) That was the very spiritual beginning of the... Did you know that? It's right there in the Bible. And praising God. You see the result of the healing was what? Praising God. Why would God want to heal through us? To bring worship out of us, right? Why should we never be shy about asking God to be amazing in front of us? Because if we do it right, we both further the gospel and we worship him more fully. You with me? Then what happened, all the people saw this and go, isn't that Jerry? (laughs) Isn't that guy we walked by? And what did they do? They were filled with what? Wonder and amazement. Man. That's what the Bible says. What if it's true? It it brings up another question, doesn't it? And the question is, what if it's true? Because Jesus said in John 14, 12, does anybody know this? He said, I tell you the truth. If anyone has faith in me, he will do what I have been doing. And then if he just would have stopped there, it would have been okay, right? And he said, he will do even greater things than these because, anybody know the rest of it? I am going to the Father. That through the redemptive work of the cross of Jesus Christ, not only are our sins forgiven, we're justified before God, all that's amazing, but it's an avenue because Jesus went to the Father for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we can continue the works of Jesus. And he said, do even greater things than these. I think I'd be pretty excited for this much of what he did, right? Is anybody here? 
What if it's true? It brings up another question, doesn't it? And the question is, if this is true, then why aren't we seeing these greater things today? That's a fair question. Can we talk? We can talk, right? Because this isn't really church. It's the vineyard, right? We can talk. Why aren't we seeing greater? May I float some possible answers that are out there for your your consideration. The first one is because God isn't doing these kinds of things today. That's a whole system of thought and theology called cessationism. It has as its core the word cease. And so what it says is that all of these cool things happen during what's called the apostolic age when Peter and John and all those guys were here. But that when they left... That closed, so it ceased. Now, I want to tell you why you don't want to believe that. First, I recommend you do not believe that because the whole system of cessationism as a theology is based on on really bad interpretation of Scripture. It uses 1 Corinthians 13 as its base. You know the love chapter? And in the midst of love, when Paul uses this example, by the way, all these things are going to cease until perfection appears. Well, did perfection appear when the apostles left? In 1 Corinthians 13, the perfection that it's talking about, now I see through a glass dimly, but then I will see face to face. What's he talking about? He's talking about the big day, right? That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is about. And cessationism has its roots in that saying, see, it says they were going to cease. And what's happening is something called, you ready for this? Backward hermeneutics. i got to use my seminary words every now and then, right? Hermeneutics is the study of the interpretation of Scripture, and when you, when you adopt a cessationist viewpoint, you're interpreting the Bible backwards. Because here's what you're doing. You're saying, you're looking around and going, boy, God doesn't seem to be doing the cool stuff anymore. And so you're starting there, and then you're developing an interpretation of Scripture that fits your experience. That's backwards, isn't it? We're supposed to be going to the Bible, and we're supposed to be going, hey, How come this stuff isn't still happening? We're supposed to start at the Bible and look forward. Otherwise, look at all the things that are happening in the church today where where we are compromising the clear standards of Scripture because we're trying to find Scriptures that suit our position culturally, socially, theologically, relationally instead of letting the Scriptures continue to speak clearly forward to us. So that's a possible answer. I don't like it. How about because we're not using power events to spread the gospel? Look in your Bibles back in Acts chapter 3. After verse 10, what happens next? Go ahead and look and somebody tell me. Louder. They were rushed out in amazement. What happened in verses 11 and following? 
Well, I want you to tell me what it says. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Yep. Keep going. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Thank you. You may preach next week. You have a great voice. Listen, so they came with amazement. The guy's still holding on to them going, don't leave me. This is the coolest thing that ever happened to me in my life, right? I'm walking. Please don't go away. And the people are saying, what the what, right? And then Peter says, well, I'll tell you what. And he uses that as yet another opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe the reason we're not seeing the power events in the ways that we think are biblical and we should is because we're keeping them in the house. God comes and moves, some cool stuff happens, right? And sometimes we'll hand somebody a microphone and say, tell us the cool thing that just happened. Well, and they tell you the cool thing that happens, right? And here we are, saving the saved, finding the found, Right? Maybe it's because we are no longer utterly dependent upon God. What didn't Peter and John have to give to this guy? They didn't have any money. Jesus said, when you go, don't take anything. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it, right? What do we do when we go? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. How full is my debit card, right? (laughs) And even in the church, the church in general in America has ceased to rely on God. Seminaries are not about, seminaries, Rob, am I right, do not, never taught us how to rely on God. They taught us how to develop systems, systems so that we can run the church. They teach us ad nauseum the systems to put into place so that we can keep the machinery of the organization moving in what they would consider to be a meaningful way. And so in doing that, it makes sense on one level, but in doing that, we have stopped training pastors to seek the Lord to get on their faces before God and roll around and foam at the mouth if they need to or stare up into heaven and say, God, I'm going to look at you until somebody blinks. And so it's pretty understandable that the church in general, following its pastors, is about systems, about mechanism. It's happening here. We have a saying on our staff that I developed. I was talking to Karen this morning out on the porch how much it hurts me. Our saying on our staff is, stay in your lane. Because we have specialized staff now. And while we love each other and we support each other, everybody's job is very full. And so when we see people kind of drifting and doing each other's jobs, say, hey, you need to stay in your lane, man. Let's just keep everybody marching in their lane, right? Church doesn't utterly depend on God. Silver. So there's this story about Augustine. Haven't anybody ever heard of Augustine? He was a fourth century big shot, right? 
the big dude. And anyway, the story is told that he and one of his students or something were walking around uh, Rome. Now, by this time, after Constantine, Christianity had become the religion of the world, right? The religion of the Roman world. And so there were all kinds of developments of structures and stuff, churches and such. And the story is told that as Augustine and this guy were walking around Rome, the student said to him, boy, I guess we can't say silver and gold have I not anymore, can we? And Augustine is said to have responded, yeah, but neither can we say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. One more answer. God actually is doing these things. Some of us have been to places where he is, right? (laughs) And he's doing these things where there's faith, where people are using power events for evangelism, and where people are living lives of radical dependence on God. He is. So what are we going to do? What do we do now? I want you to do three things. Number one, I want you to reject the lie that God is not doing this stuff anymore. Reject it. Actively reject cessationism as an explanation, it's terrible theology. Actively reject that kind of complacency that has grown in your heart that says, well, church is really about singing the songs, listening to the guy and going home. Reject that. Expect more. So reject that. And second, I want to invite you to accept Accept the truth of the Scripture at face value. It says what it says. We believe it's true, yes or no? Then it says what it says. And if it's true, we've got some changing to do, don't we? Ouch. I said the change word. Accept that. Accept that God has more for us. And the third thing I want you to do is surrender. Surrender your life into this process of transformation. Just agree with me, we're not there yet. We might not even be close yet, right? So we need to change. We need the transformation that we've been talking about in this series. Reject, accept, and surrender. Let's pray. Lord, By your grace, by your power, we accept the Bible as the inerrant word of God, and we're sorry for trying to make it say things that you never said. We repent of our propensity to rearrange the clear meaning of Scripture to conveniently fit our situations. We repent of that and ask you to come and to reveal the truth of what you're having to say to us as a church right now. Lord, I 
I don't have any judgment against the rest of the church. It's a full-time job just taking care of this place, Lord. And so I just know where we are. And I just want to authentically offer this fellowship up to you again, Lord, and say, would you renew the works of the Holy Spirit here in us? Come, Holy Spirit. We give ourselves to this process of transformation where you are making us into something that we weren't, individually and as a church. We repent of our excuses and we ask you to come now and enliven the move of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Church, would you please stand with me? Prayer ministry people, would you please come and be prepared to pray for people? You can come for any reason whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Barb says she's getting the scripture that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So there's really, the scripture itself supports the fact that there can't be any change. There's no reason for another explanation. Let's worship the Lord.